We are going to jump right into the word because in the words of the uh, Old Testament prophet, uh, uh, we, uh, we got a long way to go and a short time to get there. So uh, I have to jump right into it. Uh, Psalm 109 is where I'm going to take my text from this morning. Before I get started, I just want to brag on a couple people, uh, a couple groups of people, actually, uh, and that is our hospitality team. Whether, whether you work in the coffee shop, the greeters outside, or in the hallway, the ushers, guys, you're making a difference, and, and it's wonderful to see you all out there, and you always got a smile on, and you're always enjoying what you're doing, and you're making a difference to people as they come in the door, so we, I honor you. I appreciate you. I really do. It's, 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 a, it's a humbling thing to see people uh, taking advantage of their skill sets. And some of you have got a smile that uh, is a mile wide. Amen. So uh, we're going we're gonna to preach this morning. Uh, if you've not been here, I, I'm just continuing one long sermon. Uh, I, I don't know exactly when it's going to end. It started at the beginning of the year, and every Sunday morning, we're just going with what uh, God gives me and what He's already laid on my heart. Uh, there's two emphases that God has laid in my spirit this year. Uh, one is for us to increase our faith. That, that's why Sunday nights are important, because it's Sunday nights where He's going to begin to show us anything's possible. That we, we, we believe that this is a church where anything's possible. And those are going to be manifested in our Sunday night services, okay? So we're going to increase our faith, and we're going to do that by enhancing our prayer life. So that's what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. Again, we're building precept upon precept. Every week we're building just building and building, and we're taking everything that we've learned so far, and we're putting it into this sermon, and this sermon will be used for next sermon, and, and that's the way we're, we're, we're handling this. And this morning, I want to talk to you about prayer. Now, I already uh, instigated something with our leadership. We had a leadership rally last Sunday right after service, and I gave them a prayer journal and, and a prayer uh, guide uh, that is supposed to challenge us for 40 days. So our leadership at this church is is already on a 40-day prayer challenge trying to pray in and for us to host the Holy Spirit and for us to see miracles and signs and wonders and things happen. Amen? So, so this morning, I have a lot of information. I've been telling you, you're going to wear some pins out. Well, this is one of them mornings. I've got a lot of information. Um, I had a dream last night that I preached so long that there was only like five people left when I got finished. And, and I woke up this morning and I told my wife that. And she said, yeah, that's possible. So the first lady is a great encouragement to my ministry and my ego at the same time. She said, oh, yeah, I can see that. That's possible. So, uh, I, so I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to preach until all of you leave. Uh, so I do have a lot to tell you this morning, so we're going to jump right into it. My sermon title this morning is called Deafening Silence. Hmm? Deafening Silence. And have you ever felt like you could not hear from God? Is there ever been a season where you se it seemed like heaven was silent? That you were sending prayers up and getting nothing back, okay? Now, we have all prayed for something and did not get the answer that we wanted, right? But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where you go through dry seasons where it seems like you're asking and not receiving. It, where, where, where you're sending prayers up, but you don't see any evidence of anything coming back. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Every one of us has, has prayed that God would give us wisdom 
And for God to give us the right answer about something and, and didn't, didn't hear anything, right? Is there anything more frustrating than asking God, God, I need you to give me wisdom to make a choice, and he don't say nothing? My biggest issue with God always has been, he don't mind me. I tell him what to do, I tell him when I need the news, and he just does whatever he wants to do anyway. And that's the frustrating part about this. And so I want to talk to you about those kind of seasons. Listen to what David said about it. Psalm 109, beginning with verse 1. Oh God, whom I praise, don't stand silent and aloof while the wicked slander me and tell lies about me. They surround me with hateful words and fight against me for no reason. I love them, but they try to destroy me with accusations, even as I am praying for them. They repay evil for good and hatred for my love. You know what David just told God? He said, God... All this bad stuff is happening to me, and you ain't saying nothing. Like, like you ain't defending me. You're not helping me. All these people are scandalizing my name, telling lies about me, hurting me, saying things uh, against me, and you're not helping me, God. And we have a hard time with this. We have a hard time with this. Mamas, you have a hard time with this because somebody talking bad about your baby. They about, they about to meet Mama Bear. Somebody say amen. Uh-huh. Well, if somebody says something bad about your kids, they put, they put their, your kid's name in their mouth, you can't keep your mouth shut. But here's God with one of his children crying out to him, and heaven is silent. And sometimes silence is deafening. What do I mean by that? Let me give you a definition. Deafening silence defined in the dictionary is this. A noteworthy silence or an absence of response, especially one signifying disapproval or lack of enthusiasm. I want you to focus on that. Oh, we didn't put it up. Especially one that shows disapproval. Okay, I want you to, I want you to focus on it. Signifying disapproval. I, that's going to become the crux of my message this morning. That, that when, when you don't hear from heaven, you often correlate that in your mind with, he must be mad at me. He must not be pleased with me. And, and, and so, what do you do when heaven is silent? What do you do when you cry out to God and don't get an answer? Or at least it's not an answer that you can discern and hear. That's what happened to David. David is crying out to God, and he says, God, I praise you. Don't, don't stay quiet. I need to hear from you. I need to know that you are with me. David's being attacked by wicked people, which was a common occurrence to David. And, and heaven is, shh. Heaven's not saying nothing. One of the most awkward things in the world is silence. And sometimes silence is deafening when you need to know and no answer is coming silence is deafening so why is God silent sometimes let's look at it I'm going to give you just a few reasons that I've discovered in my own life number one it may be because we are hard of hearing until we need to hear what, what do I mean by that? Well, I'm glad you asked. What I've noticed about myself and what I've noticed about other people is that sometimes we don't like to listen to God 
until we get into trouble. And then we get real serious about crying out to heaven and hearing an answer. We run to church when we got trouble. We, we cry, we'll fast, we'll pray, we'll scream, we'll roll around at the altar in the floor like a fish out of water. I mean, we will put on a show when we need to hear from God. Where is all that intensity, though, before the trouble came? Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought that maybe if you had the same intensity before the trouble, that the trouble wouldn't have showed up? Could it be that if we showed the same intensity in prayer before the problem, that the problem could have been avoided? Oh, y'all not going to help me this morning. I'm already in your business. How many times have I heard people look up at heaven and say, God, why aren't you talking to me now that I'm ready to listen? This is the way we treat him. So we get upset with God when he doesn't speak to us when we get into trouble. When... Because now we're in trouble, we finally set aside some time so that we can hear. Now, now that we've got some issues and we need God to show up for us, uh, we've crafted our schedule just right to fit God in. We want to force a conversation with God when it's convenient for us. God doesn't speak just because you decide to listen. It's quiet in this mortuary this morning. Now, I have preached a million sermons about the sins that you've committed and the rules that you have broken that keeps you separated from heaven and makes you not be able to hear what heaven is saying to you. Because, yes, absolutely, sin is a separator from God. And the more sin you have in your life, the more difficult it's going to be for you to hear what God says. Why? Because the farther away from somebody you are, the more difficult it is to hear. When you get close to somebody, it's easier to hear what they say. But when you keep them at a distance, and that's what sin does, it keeps you and God at a distance, the farther away you are from God, the harder it is for you to hear a conversation. But my assignment today is not to dwell on that. My assignment today is to talk to you about when you know for a fact that heaven is listening to you. What does 1 John teach us? If we pray anything according to His will, we know He hears us, and we should receive what it was we asked, right? So there's a breakdown somewhere. If I know God's hearing me, why, why am I not receiving? Well, I want to talk to you about that. Because the first thing that interferes with your ability to hear from heaven is how do you see God? I've got a question that I'm going to pose to you. How do you see God? What do you mean by that, Pastor? When Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, here's what he said. Our what? Our what? Uh-huh. Our could he have definitely said our Lord? The answer is yes. That's not a trick question. He is Lord. Could he have said Almighty? Could, could he have said Master of all? But specifically, when Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to pray to our uh-huh. Hey, pay real close attention to the fact that he did not say, Oh, thou mighty ruler of all things, thy lowly worm seeks presence with you. No, no, no. He said, Our Father. And it's real important that Jesus taught to pray to our Father because how you see God affects what you expect from him. 
I'm just going to teach this morning. I'm not going to shout and run the aisles. I'm just going to teach you. I got, I got a whole lot to say. He called him father. Could he have also called him king? And, and he would not have been wrong, would he? In the Old Testament, Isaiah saw the Lord, the same father. But he was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple and he was sitting on a throne and Isaiah saw him as a king and when he saw him as a king it intimidated Isaiah and Isaiah said I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in a land of other people who have unclean lips why because when you're in the presence of a king it humbles you when you're in the presence of a king it intimidates you when you're in the presence of a king you feel exposed to everything that's wrong with you that's why he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Because the first thing that happens to you when you get in the presence of a holy king is you feel intimidated because of all the things you've done wrong. So when Jesus called us to pray, he didn't say, our king. He said, our, our father. And this can be especially hard for some of us that did not have a good father. If you didn't have a good, active father when you were growing up, it's hard for you to see God as Father. Let me put myself in, because you're not going to help me, amen, if I talk about you. It's hard for us to see God as Father because the only way we really want to see Him as King. But let me tell you the difference this morning. If you see Him as King, He's exalted. He's high on His throne. He's holy. He's full of glory. He should be revered. And all of that is true. But it, the problem is, if the only way you see God is king, is he always seems unapproachable. He always seems like you sh don't deserve to be in his presence. Read Revelation and tell me that it don't freak you out just a little bit. Okay, when I first got into the church, I used to go preach in all these country churches out in the, out in the middle of Podunk Holler. And, and on Sunday morning, some, some, some brother out of the church, an elder, or one of the associate pastors, or, they get up in the pulpit and they talk about, when I get to heaven, I'm going to run right up to Jesus and I'm going to jump into his lap. And then I read Revelation. Have you read Revelation? God is sitting on a throne with voices coming out from under the seat. There's lightning, there's thunder, there's sounds, there's angels with six wings flying around the throne. Oh, and then there's the four beasts who look like an eagle, a person, a lion, all at the same time. Now, as excited as I'm going to be about seeing Jesus, I might stand back and take all that in before I run up and jump in his lap. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to be as excited as the next fella to get there, but I think I might take it in for a minute. That's intimidating. When God is only a king, he's intimidating. And because a lot of us see him this way, it has stopped us from being able. Because you see him only as a king, you don't hear his voice when he speaks. And I know he is a king. And I know he does sit on the throne, but he's also our father. And when you see him as father, it changes everything about how you feel in his presence. See, you're, you're nervous to approach a king, but you feel calm around a father. You're scared 
to be in a king's chamber, you feel safe in your father's house. You don't feel worthy to ask the king to do you a favor. So when you come and approach a king, you beg him. You throw yourself at his mercy. You lay yourself prostrate and you say, King, would you please grant me who is unworthy this favor? But when you see him as your father, You know that His job is to provide for you. And you come boldly before His throne because you know He is my Father who loves me enough to provide. See, see, that's the difference. So when Jesus taught us to pray, He taught us to pray to our Father because He wants us to set ourselves up immediately in the approach of God wants to give me good stuff. He wants to provide for me. Whatever he has is mine. I don't have to beg him. I don't have to be intimidated. He wants to give me good things. It changes the way you approach him. And and, and so seeing him as king makes you a servant. Seeing him as father makes you a son. Why is that important? Because when I see myself as an outsider, I live my entire existence trying to please my master. So I'm always trying to do right. I'm always trying to be better. I'm I'm always trying to follow the rules. Did anybody ever get saved in that church? I spent most of my ministry trying to please God. I spent most of my my Christian walk trying to please Him because I I did not understand That it's not about pleasing, it's about position. I I didn't understand that I have a position with God. So what happens when you do, and, and what happens is, when I only saw him as king, because I did not have a good father figure. So I, I didn't know what a good loving father looked like up close. And when I only saw God as king, not only was he intimidating to me, but I realized I was trying to do everything right to please him so he would show me some favor. But number one, I could never be right enough because I couldn't follow all the rules. Try as I might, I was always failing, and with every failure, I suffered setback. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I would pray myself through to victory. I would be doing real good for a while. I would have plenty of faith. And I would finally feel like I've gotten to the point where God should be pleased enough with me to answer my prayer. And then I would blow it. And I would shirk back because this holy king couldn't accept my unworthiness. And what I wasn't understanding was I was never worthy. Even when I was doing all the stuff and all the things and following all the rules, I still wasn't worthy. That's why Isaiah said, my righteousness is as filthy rags in the presence of a holy God. You can never follow the rules good enough to be worthy of what you're asking him to do. When I feel like a servant and not a son, I'm constantly trying to find the right formula to get him to accept me so he might bless me. Do you remember the definition of deafening silence? A noteworthy silence or an absence of response, especially one signifying disapproval. So when I don't hear from heaven, and all I see God is as king, is I assume he's not talking to me because I didn't do something right. 
Does anybody know how that feels? Let me help you. I prayed, and I haven't got my answer. I must not have did it right. I probably should have fasted for 10 days instead of three. I didn't do it right. I should have, I should have got up earlier and prayed for a whole hour. I only prayed for 44 minutes. Let me, t- let me tell you my experience following the rules. Can I just be transparent? When I first got saved, I was, a, I was totally invested in getting everything from God that I thought I was supposed to get. And I was trying to follow the rules. And, man, I was doing everything I knew to do. And I wasn't doing it all right because I, I didn't have a, a great background in church. And, and, but I was trying to read the Bible. I was getting up an hour before I had to leave the house. And I had to leave my house to get to work at 5 a.m. So I was getting up at 4 a.m. And I was spending that hour in prayer and reading my Bible. And I felt like a failure if it was snowing outside and I had to leave early and I couldn't pray the whole hour because I had ritual when I needed relationship. I was dogmatic about following rules, but I did not realize He is my Father. Because as as my kids grew up, I learned a little bit about being a father. And I learned... I don't have perfect kids. But man, I give them a whole lot of grace. Even in their imperfections. Even when I see how messed up and flawed they are, I still offer them so much grace because I love them enough to not hold it against them that they're not perfect. And if I, being evil, know how to give good gifts to my children, how much more will my heavenly Father give to me so I started realizing God doesn't get disappointed with me I'm disappointed with me I was getting up at 4 a.m. and I was praying and sometimes I would wake up in a pool of my own slobber got slobber in my Bible my face got a got a big old red mark on my forehead with a with a fold down the middle where I fell asleep with my face in my Bible and slobbered all over John's gospel. And I used to be so dogmatic that I assumed, well, I won't get what I was praying about now because God didn't hear me because I fell asleep. And then I had babies. And is there anything, have you ever got mad at a baby for falling asleep in your arms? Never. Never. Because the fact that they felt secure enough and safe enough and comforted enough to fall asleep in your presence means that you have done something right. And if I can fall asleep in the presence of my Father, why would He not look down at me and say, I'm glad that I bring you such peace. I'm glad that you're not disturbed in my presence. I'm glad that you're not so intimidated that you can't sleep with me. My God in heaven. So, so, so that was what my experience was trying to follow the rules. And when you view God as only a king who's got a fistful of lightning bolts, who's ready to strike you down every time you step out of line, every time you color outside the lines, you think the king is about to send a, a host of angels to smite you, then you don't know what the love of a father looks like. And you have a hard time praying effectively Because all you ever do is beg like a peasant. 
Because you think constantly He's punishing you. And when heaven's not speaking, you think God's giving you the silent treatment. And you focus more on every wrong decision you've made instead of focusing on the relationship you've made. So every time you get ready to approach God, you start telling yourself stuff like, I don't guess He's going to listen to me because I had a baby out of wedlock. Or, or I married the wrong person that God didn't want me to marry and now He's not going to answer my prayers. And you start judging your decisions. God's not judging. But you're judging them on His behalf. And you're thinking that heaven is silent because you messed up. And, and, and you knew that you were breaking God's commandments, but all those, and all those times you stood up and testified that you'd been delivered, that, that the addiction was broke, and then you backslid, and, and you went back, and now you think, well, God's done with me. God, God can't use me anymore. And, and you feel like that there's just this constant tug of war going on between you and God. That affects your prayer life, child. That affects the way you approach your father. Because you come to him backwards with your hand out saying, please, may I please have a blessing. But Jesus didn't teach us to pray that way. He said, come boldly before the throne because he is your loving Abba Father who wants to give you good things. But, so, so, so the silence can be deafening. And many times we don't hear from God and we think it's, it's punishment. Sometimes God is silent because we're not ready for the message. See, sometimes He wants to talk to you about something that you're not ready for. Song of Solomon chapter 2 verse 15 is a scripture that every person needs to memorize. Solomon is writing to his, his lady. Song of Solomon's funny. It's funny reading it in 2023 because now you would read it like they were sending text messages to one another because it's a back and forth between Solomon and his woman. And, and, and you, all them years I was reading it early in my ministry, I was reading it like, they, like it really was. They were writing letters to each other. But we don't write letters no more. So now it's DMs. So, so catch all the foxes. Which ones? All of them. But he especially points out the little foxes. Because it's the little foxes that ruin the vineyard of love. The grapevines are blossoming. I don't have time to preach this, but let me give it to you in 20 seconds. When the fruit is ripe, the little foxes steal it. You've been trying to get your fruit ripe. The fruit of the Spirit. You've been trying to get your fruit to come in. And this tells me that the little foxes come in when the fruit gets ready and steals the fruit. So it's not always the big, obvious things that cause us to lose our fruit. It's the stuff that seems small. The little insignificant things. The things that you overlook and don't think are problems are the things that steal your fruit. Are you hearing me this morning? So, I'm going to point out two foxes that affect your prayer life. Are you ready? And there ain't never been one that was more 2023 than the notification fox. 
Oh, we can't get messages from God, but you're getting signals from everywhere else. Mo- I, did a st- I-, I read something. Mobile phone users receive an average of 92 notifications a day. Oh, oh, that ain't all. People on average pick up their phone, you ready for this? 74 times a day. Oh, oh, that's the average. Some of y'all are way above that. And then some of y'all are way under that. You know why? Not because you ain't looking at it, but because you never set it down. Like you only pick your phone up once a day. And, and, and then you hold it all day. And you eat with it and you sleep with it and you take it with you when you go to party. I mean, every, that thing goes with you every It, it has become an appendage at this point. Like, if your phone is more than an arm's reach, you are having a total freak out. Okay? So, so, so 74 times a day, people are picking up their phone. And here was the funny thing. Well, it's funny. It's sad. I don't know how are you going to interpret it. But people are checking into detox centers. Not for drugs and alcohol, but because they need notification detox. They have so much coming at them. They get overwhelmed, and they get anxious, and they have to get detoxed from their phone. Think about it. Have you ever made time to spend with God, and you're trying to come into His presence, and all of a sudden... Haircut on Friday, got a meeting at 3 o'clock, take the roast out of the oven, and notifications on all your social medias, all, all them Amazon packages you ordered have shipped. Would you like to know where it is? You're 10 stops away. When did that become a thing? We have become so neurotic, I did not ask for this information. Some of you people have, have made Amazon contact me because you're so neurotic about where your package is they're telling me want to see where your package is you are 10 steps away no it's not my business i'll see it when it gets here i mean i just ordered it at four o'clock i'm okay i'm cool really i don't need to know it's that uh, my amazon package is on west street it'll be here i don't care it'll get here a little bit some of you people or the reason Amazon's acting this way. I go home, my Alexa's flashing at me. I think it's because she's got something important to tell me. Aunt Alexa, notification. Uh, it might be time for you to reorder your drink mixes. You don't tell me when I'm going to order that, girl. According to your order history, it might be time for you to shut up. That's not a notification that I need. Here, The reason I... <laughs> The reason I tell you this, Jesus didn't have to deal with that. But even he knew the value of getting alone to talk to his father. Let me tell you like this. Life is a series of choices. And every yes that you give to one thing is a million no's that you're giving to everything else. So, so if you give your time and attention to Jesus, you've got to say no to everything else. 
But if you're giving your yes to your notifications, you cannot effectively talk to your father. So, so all of this is external noise. Uh-huh. What happens out here. But then there's another fox that we all have. The self-talk fox. And this is the mental chatter that never, ever, ever shuts up. Have you ever, have you ever been one of these people, and, and this is every Sunday night for me, or every Saturday night. Have you ever been one of these people that says, I just couldn't sleep. My brain was going a million different places. Have you ever asked yourself, if it's going all them places, how come it ain't never nowhere productive? Like I'm laying down and I'm thinking about, did I wear two different color socks today? I mean, I'm thinking about real important stuff. Like, who was the 18th president? Like, I'm, who cares? Go to sleep, man. But if, if your mind's going to be racing all night, why ain't it racing to somewhere important? Why ain't it to do something productive? You start thinking about, and, and your mind never shuts up. But it's always going somewhere. You want an example? It loves to go in reverse. Oh, yeah, your mind loves to go back. Oh, I wish I could go back to when I was happy. I wish I could go back to before the split. I wish I could go back to where I worked that job. I wish I could go back to when the kids were small. I wish I could go back to when this was going on. I wish I could go back to when I could afford eggs. Come think of it, that doesn't seem like that long ago, does it? I wish I, could, I wish I could go back. Your mind loves to go in reverse. Except the book tells me to forget the things which are behind so I can press toward the mark of the prize that's ahead of me. And, and so you, if you trust your mind, your mind is always going in reverse. You know somewhere else your mind loves to go? To fantasy. Oh, your mind loves to trail off into making up hypothetical situations. That may or may not ever come to pass. Uh huh. Oh, I have lived a million different lives in my head that never manifested in my house. Oh, yeah. I've, I have, me and my wife could be having intense moments of fellowship. <laughs> We're going to do a marriage seminar next, next month. And I will have a million different ways this thing's going to play out. I'm going to tell her this and that and remind her of that. And, and I will spend all day, I'm like a general in the army getting ready to take another country by storm. I mean, I have got it laid out and I know exactly what I'm going to say and how it's going to work. And she's going to tell me this and then I'm going to hit her with that. She ain't going to see that coming. And then none of that happens. And I realized I just wasted six hours of my life plotting a war. And we never even invaded. Uh-huh. Did your mind do that? Or how about you worry about the what ifs? Every time you send a text and they don't answer you in 27 seconds, I wonder what's wrong. I hope they haven't been in an accident. And then you start texting other people. 
You start texting other people to text them to see if they'll answer them. Because in your mind, they're just avoiding me. They don't want to answer my text. And how much of your energy have you poured into what ifs? How much? Hey, hey, will you text your brother? He's not answering me. I want to see if he'll text you back. My goodness gracious. Do you remember in ancient days when a phone was a phone? And you used to pick it up and dial like this. My phone number when I lived at home had an 8, a 9, another 9, and another 9. You gave your number out, people had to really want to call you. I mean, some people, you give out a number that was 3991, they said, no, that's all right, I don't have to call you. I'll find another person to date. 589-3991. That was my house number. 589-89-3991. Nah, that's all right. I'll date somebody else. I take somebody else to the prom. That's that's a whole lot of Remember when you used to call and there was no answering machine? Some of you kids, answering machines was these ancient ways that we used to record our voices that took a thing, an ancient it would, but after, right after stones, they used things called cassette tapes. And they used to go in answering machines. I know, I know you young people don't understand this, but you'd call and it would pick up, and it, sometimes it would be a corny song. You called me. Leave me a message. When did, why did we think that was cool or funny? Why did our parents think that was a thing to do? I'm glad you called, but I'm not home. But I'll be back before too long. <laughs> you got to leave your name. You got to leave your number. Wait for the beat. Beep. <laughs> and, 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 and you would call and leave a message and not even know if they got it. Now, if they leave you on red, you post it on Facebook. Well, it must be nice to see that people don't appreciate my conversations. They don't want to. And you get passive aggressive on Facebook. And you start putting out messages that you know they know. But because you didn't tag them, you can use the excuse that wasn't about you. I don't guess anybody in my family wants to answer my calls, but... Dreaming about the perfect life, the what-ifs, all the while poisoning the one that God actually gave us. Because our minds are going places, and the external fox is easier to shut up than this one is, because I can turn my phone off. I know a lot of you did not know that it had an off button. It does. And you can turn your phone off, but this, you can't turn it off. You have to learn how to shut it up. And, and in the next few sermons, that's what we're going to deal with because that's the thing standing between a lot of us getting our prayers answered. That's why some people come to church and they do good for a little while and then they disappear. And you think I ran them off. And you say, I don't know what pastor done to make so-and-so leave. But a lot of times, people get frustrated because they came to church, they prayed, they hopped on one leg, they stood on their head for an hour, 
and God didn't answer their prayers. God didn't fix their problems. Because some people believe that there's a scripture called Genie 1-1. That, that, that is translated like this from the ancient Hebrew. Your wish is my command. Or, or they've written their own book of the Bible. It's called the book of should have beens. And the book of should have beens is all the stuff God should have put in there because it makes me happy. And, and so, so, so this, is, this is why some people walk away from God because he don't fix their problems. But he never told us that he was going to do it that way. What he said was this. I will give you power to overcome your patterns. Because it's never been my problem that's kept you away. It's always been. That's why, that's why Paul told us, I can do all things. He didn't say some things. He said, I can do all things. So, so it's never been God's issue. It's always been ours. Which means God's, sometimes God is silent to teach us he doesn't operate like we do. See, we try to figure out God with our finite minds. So we misinterpret what he's doing. We think he does stuff like we do. And because he doesn't hear from us, we translate that, that he must be giving us the silent treatment. Oh, you don't know what I'm talking about. Married folk. His ways are different than your spouse's ways. Uh-huh. So because you're humble, transparent folk of integrity, I feel like you're going to be honest with me and help me preach this. You know what it's like when the two of you are having intense moments of fellowship and you get very disgruntled with the words that are coming out of their face and you start giving them the silent treatment. Oh, it's just us? Mm-mm, okay. All right. It's just me and her. You get mad at them for what they said, and you start giving them the silent treatment. And because you're totally saved and stuff, and you don't want to let the sun go down on your wrath, so you got to get it all out by bedtime. So you're getting underneath the covers, and you got to huff extra loud. Huh. And roll up into the covers, pulling the covers off of them. So you can make this big, grand display that something's stuck in your crawl. And you're giving them the silent treatment so you can't tell them what's wrong. Which is going to invoke them to ask the question, what's wrong with you? To which you godly saint are going to say, nothing. And because you act that way, and they act that way, you think God acts that way. And you think that when he's silent, he's giving you the silent treatment because he's upset with something you said or something you did. You think he thinks like you do. But that's what we need to learn is God's silent isn't punishment. It's his purpose. What if his silence is actually a sign of intimacy. Let, let me show you what I mean. He puts us in a position of waiting on him. Because all silence is not the same. Hello? His silence 
is an act of intimacy sometimes. Because he's making you become dependent on his sovereignty. Do you know how you have an awkward silence when you don't have a relationship with somebody? Let me give you an example. I'm on a roll. You're sitting in a doctor's office. Just you and another stranger. And you don't want them to talk to you. I mean, come on. You're in a doctor's office. What's the conversation going to be about? Well, they got. I, I, I wonder what they in here for. Ooh, is that a rash? I mean, you don't have a relationship with them, so you don't have any reason to talk to them. So it's, it's an awkward silence. You were sitting there flipping through your phone, dialing every number you got, hoping and praying somebody will answer so you can, so you can be distracted. Oh, I'm the, only, I'm the only one in here. Lord, it's just me that is in need of your grace and mercy. For all the rest of these saints need to pray for the bishop because I, hey, hey, you, you have awkward silence because you don't want to talk to them. You, 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 don't, you don't have anything in common with them. But when you have a deep relationship with somebody, you can sit in silence and it's not awkward. Me and her do talk, but we don't have to talk. It's, a diff, it's not awkward silence, it's intimate silence. And sometimes God's putting me in a position and putting you in a position of intimacy so you can know He's there even when you can't hear Him. So, 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 so oh, you don't believe me? Let me remind you, again, uh, teenagers and, and young adults, check out. You won't understand this at all. Remember when you first started dating and you had a landline? This, this is way before social media. All the young people says, oh, my MySpace? No, way before that. This was when it was a phone attached to the wall inside the house. You didn't have your phone. The family had a phone. And you shared it. And when I was little, we shared that same line with everybody on the hillside. It was called a party line. But we never had no parties. We just had arguments and fights. But do you remember when you started dating when you was like 16 and you was on the phone and your mama was like right around the corner? I remember stretching that phone cord as far. I mean, it was stretched so tight because you was trying to get as far away from your mama's hearing as you possibly could so you could whisper sweet nothing. And do you remember how that conversation went? What you doing? Nothing thinking about you. What you doing? Nothing, just thinking about you. And you remember what it was like when you got ready to hang up? No, you hang up. No, you hang up. Young people don't understand this because they don't talk anymore. They text. And then they just fall asleep with their phone in their chest. But, but back then you had to say something to get off the line. You had to say goodbye. And you didn't want to say goodbye. So you'd say, won't we count to three and hang up together? <laughs> You remember that? You remember that? You would spend three hours on the phone saying absolutely nothing. But intimacy brings comfort. So the longer I've been with her and the longer you've been together, intimacy brings 
familiarity. It brings comfort. That's why you need to come to church as often as you can because when, what happens in this altar is important and you need to be familiar with the people in this room so when you get ready to lay hands on somebody, you have a level of comfort to receive what heaven wants to give you. So, so in other words, sometimes his silence is, is trying to bring you into a deeper understanding of who he is. And, and, and you ever try... You ever try to hear something on TV and your, your kid wants to talk at the same time? And you're like, shh. I got one shot to hear this. You're going to say that on repeat for the next 47 minutes. Before you look at me sideways, you know I'm telling the truth. They're going to tell that same story on repeat. But, but you got one chance to hear that on the TV. What's the weather going to be like tomorrow? I missed it. Thanks a lot, kid. Now, now we've gotten fancy and we can DVR stuff and rewind it, but all channels ain't like that in, uh, these days. And you got, you got one chance. And I'm at the age now where if I'm in the car, I turn the radio down so I can see better. A deer ran across me one day. It was a big buck. I wanted to see it. I turned the radio down. I said, why did I do that? That doesn't help. <laughs> but that's the, that's the age I'm at now. Yeah, yeah. And, and when everything's going well, you'll let all these distractions in. Right? And you'll have all this noise going on because you're not desperate to hear from God. But when God puts you in a position where he lets some things come against you, you'll all of a sudden say, shh. Because you got to cut down all the chatter so you can finally hear from heaven. Imagine you only had 48 hours to live. I know that's a little bit morbid and we just went from joking to mortality. Imagine you only had 48 hours to live. How would you spend those 48 hours? Some of you would probably go buy your, the, the best meal you've ever eaten. The most expensive, extravagant, and put it on a credit card. Because why not? <laughs> Some of you would go to work the next day just so you could quit in the most epic way. <laughs> you, you, would, you would put it on video for prosperity because you would want the whole world to see just exactly what went down in, in the boss's office. Uh, it, but Jesus knew exactly what was going on. He had 48 hours to live. And he spent three hours of that in prayer. That tells me Jesus understands something about prayer that I need to understand. That tells me that Jesus understood the importance and impact of prayer. And the truth is, prayer is difficult for a lot of us mainly because we don't understand it. Too many of us treat prayer like it's a performance. Like we have to meet some kind of quota to be found worthy. And, and I lived through this. Have you ever watched the Olympics? I like the Olympics. I like to watch. I don't like to watch all the Olympics. But have you ever watched stuff like the diving, or or the um, the gymnastics, and they have judges, and the judges always put up a score, right? And, and and if if the gymnast does does their performance, they'll stop and immediately they what? They look for the. That's the way I used to pray. I used to pray and then I'd look for my score, and if I didn't pray a full hour, I feel like well God's probably only gonna give me a seven. Point five, and I probably won't get some of the stuff I prayed for. 
Because it was based on my performance whether or not God was going to answer me. And if I didn't pray, I felt like a failure. Somebody would come to me. Y'all not going to want to hear me preach no more after I tell you this, but I'm going to tell you this. There's been a lot of times, not a few, a lot of times in my life where somebody said, pray for me, and I told them I would and didn't. Not because I didn't want to, but my forgetter works good. And then I would see them again. They'd be like, thank you for praying for me. God in. Oops. And sometimes I remember to make a note in my phone to remember them in prayer. And sometimes I got other things going on and I forget about it and I don't remember to pray. I'm sorry, but it's happened. It's happened a lot in my life. I've been doing this a long time. There's been a lot of times I meant to pray and I didn't. And every time something like that would happen, I would feel like God is so disappointed with me. Why would he ever give me good things? Because I felt like it was more about ritual than relationship. And about performance instead of position. And you ever been around somebody? And you were talking to them maybe about football or cars or recipes. And they seem normal. And then somebody asked them to pray, and they turned into Shakespeare. I mean, they were just talking like normal. And then all of a sudden, O holiest thou authorest goddess, that reigneth from the most highest. Here's the secret to prayer. Jesus' model for prayer was not formal. It was conversation. Because when you love somebody, you're not there to exchange information. You're there to be together. So, so one reason we struggle with prayer is because we have no idea how much God wants to be in our presence. God wants to permeate every part of your being. He doesn't just want to show up on Sunday, and He doesn't just want to be there when you bless Him before you take a bite of food. I was so ritualistic and r- religious, if I took a bite of food without praying first, I was afraid God was going to make me choke to death. Really? God is so vindictive that if I forgot, which by the way, it's not in the Bible, to thank Him about the morsel of food I'm about to eat. Here's what is in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He says, whatever you're doing, do it to my glory. That means I should be praying all the time or I should be giving him glory in everything that I do. Uh-huh. So, 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 so most Christians think that Sunday is the apex of the Christian experience. That when you gather in this room, this is as great as it gets. And we're glad you're here. But, but I want you to know there's not a second that God's not available to flood your life with his glory. And, and, and he'll give you power to parent your kids. He'll give you power to break the curse of anxiety in your life. Prayer will bring power for success in your business. But if you're not going to access it, if the power remains unused. I'm going to skip a bunch of teaching. Maybe I'll give it to you at another time. But I'm going to get to the end of this. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Some of you have been praying about your kids. You've been praying and praying about your finances. You've been praying about your situation. Nothing seems to be happening. 
You haven't heard from God. Nothing's changed. You don't see any improvement. And it makes you wonder if this prayer stuff even works. But it shouldn't be a discouragement. It should be an encouragement. Let me tell you why. Ephesians 3 and 20 tells me a lot of times God's not saying anything to me because what I've asked him for isn't nearly big enough. To him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all, That I ask or think. That is God saying, I have such an abundant supply, you can't even daydream about what I'm capable of. Uh huh. But read the rest of that verse. How does he do great things? According to the power that works, he doesn't do it apart from us. He does it through us. And I'm going to show you something. That word according. According to the power. According to the power. That word according means to measure out. To measure out. Let me explain it like this. You have a house that is on fire. Beside of a lake. You have all the abundant supply you need. But if it doesn't get measured out. It doesn't help you. The house burns down. So it doesn't matter if there's an abundance. If you don't have a way to measure it out. But if you get yourself a bucket. You can go once and get what you need. And if that's not enough, you can measure out some more. And if it's still burning, you can measure out. Because the supply will never run dry. But somebody has to measure out the abundance and take it to where the house is burning down. And prayer is the bucket that God has put in your hand in order to measure my God in heaven. Prayer is the bucket. He said, you've been asking for me to do something with your unruly kids. You're going to have to measure out enough glory to keep putting on, and they're still on fire. Why did you quit praying? You haven't measured out abundance yet. Oh, you wanted a raise at work? Why did you give up and be disappointed and blame all your bosses for your, why don't you keep measuring out? Until you see my glory show up over there, you're going to have to keep measuring because prayer is the bucket I put in your hand. There's an Abundant supply, but you're going to have to measure it out to get the need met. He put a bucket in each one of your hands, and it's called prayer. Because the secret to prayer is not a script, it's stamina. Are you willing? to go back and get another bucket 
Are you willing to keep knocking? Are you willing to keep asking? Are you willing to keep seeking? When it seems like heaven is not answering your prayer, are you willing to just keep pouring? My God, these kids are killing me. They've been backslid for so long. The only answer, the abundance is there. Now unto him who is able to meet not only what you have thought of and asked him for, but exceedingly. Abund- There's an abundant supply to heal, to deliver. But you've got to measure. You've got to measure it out. Some of us have quit measuring it out. We got so discouraged and disappointed and upset with God, we stopped toting our own water. It didn't work the way I wanted it to. I quit. It didn't show up when I needed him to. I quit. You don't realize that every time you get another bucket full, you're pouring out. You take that bucket to the business and you're pouring it out on those employees. You you take a bucket to that addicted son or daughter and you're pouring that bucket on those chains of addiction. You, You keep taking that bucket to that unruly husband or wife and you keep pouring it on that marriage. You don't give up. You keep pouring it out until you see a manifestation of what it was that you asked God for because the abundance is there. But somebody's got to measure Every time you pray, the question is never, is there enough power? The question is, are you willing to keep pouring? Can you keep going? Can you keep filling that bucket? Can you keep believing? Can you keep knocking? Can you keep seeking? Can you keep asking? Because if you can keep it up, He will keep it coming. Because God may be silent but he's never absent. I I can't do it for you. Would to God that I could. I mean, I I wish I had some magic incantation. I could speak over every one of you and make all your... It doesn't work that way. You got to tote your own water. I I grew up in a house with no indoor plumbing. We We had to tote water from the spring. It was an abundant supply, but it was four miles from our house. We, it come right out of a mountain. But we had to show up with a 55-gallon drum, fill that up, and then when we got that to the house on the back of a flatbed truck, we had to tote water in five-gallon buckets up to the house to, to be able to use the bathroom and, and have water to bathe in because we had no water. It was an abundant supply, but until I carried it into the house, it did absolutely no good to us. And you serve a God that has an abundance of whatever you need. You can't even imagine what God wants to do in your life. You can't fathom, your mind can't comprehend the magnitude of what God has stored up for you in heaven. You you don't have any clue how good what God wants to be to you. But because of bitterness and depression and anxiety and disappointments and it hasn't worked out for me so far you've decided to quit carrying your own water 
And I'm here to tell you that going into the rest of this season, you have to believe enough to keep praying, to keep going back and fill it up one more time. If God is able, and I'm the only thing standing between me and my miracle, then I'm going to do it one more time. I'll, I'll fill it up one more time. And when that doesn't work, I'll do it one more time. And if that doesn't work, I'll do it. And I just wonder if there's anybody under the sound of my voice this morning that knows you need to get in this altar and, and make a dedication to God. God, I, I'm, I'm going to keep doing this until, until I see my son or daughter come back to you. I, I'm going to keep doing this until I see my marriage restored. I'm going to keep doing this until my mama gets healed. I, I, I'm going to keep doing this until my addiction is broken. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep doing this until somebody else's addiction is broken. I, I'm going to keep doing this until revival has broke out and people are being saved and, and, and delivered under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. I'm, I'm going to keep doing it. I, I've, been a, I've been too slack. I, I got disappointed with you, God, because you didn't do things and, and heaven had shut up and I wasn't hearing from you, but I realize now it wasn't you that had a problem. It was me.